Turn with me then to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. A culture is shaped by what it remembers. It's the same in every culture, it's the same in every nation. What it remembers about the past has a bearing on its direction in the future. It can be military victories, it can be political achievements, it can be revolution in some countries. They etch their way into the national consciousness and they direct the future path that our nation will take. London is littered with statues, isn't it? Parliament Square, the statues of politician, statesman, Churchill, Lloyd George. You've got the military monuments. You've got the Wellington Arch. How many people today know about Wellington? What he did. Remembering the past shapes the national identity and directs its future. But as a culture, I think you'll probably agree, we don't look back very often, do we? How many programmes are there on the TV? How many things are there which commemorate the past? You've got some movies, war movies, for example, maybe. But I think as a country, we've kind of lost the sense of looking back in a good way. So pressure groups look back, but they look back in anger at the past back in a negative way and monuments and so on have been vandalized in recent years and to be sure that the people who were commemorated were not perfect they lived in a culture they lived in a time of their own but i'm sure there's something positive that they've contributed to national life but today on remembrance sunday we're going to look back but we're not going to look back in anger at the past we're going to look back with gratitude we're going to look back with joy We're going to look back with thankfulness. We're going to remember Jesus. We're going to remember what he has done. We're going to think about what God has done for our salvation. The poppies that we wear this morning commemorate the sacrifice of the soldiers and others in the armed forces. They remember the Flanders field from World War I, the loss. And in the UK, from the UK... In the First World War, there were 887,000 soldiers who died in the First World War alone. Today we have a standing army of around 100,000, approximately. 887,000. And then hundreds of thousands in in the Second World War as well. That's just the UK forces. So it's good to remember sacrifice. But we're going to move to look beyond and above to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us this morning as a church. And remembering isn't something that we should do just once a year. Remembrance, remembering is a biblical word. It's mentioned over 200 times in the scriptures. It's something that we are to do on a regular basis. What does it mean to remember? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary said to retain in or to recall to the memory To keep in mind, to recollect a thing, a person, a fact, or an event. 
It's bringing you back into our minds. Remember, use the memory, recall, visualize an image, visualize a situation, an event. Bring it into the forefront of your mind. Remember. Remember. Let me give you just three examples. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Remember what you were. Remember your darkness and slavery and sin and the idolatry around you. Remember how you were and the Lord your God brought you out with an outstretched arm and a hand. Don't forget that. Because if you go into the land, you just absorb, as it were, the idolatry. and You live the good life and you forget the Lord your God. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from Deuteronomy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work and the seventh is the day, as it were, hallowed, sanctified for us to worship and to take our rest. Remember the six days of creation that there are there in Exodus chapter 20. And then the words of Jesus in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. The central importance of remembering Jesus in his sacrifice for us on the cross. It's the greatest remembrance. It's the most far-reaching remembrance that we should recall and think. Recall that image of the Lord Jesus in our head. It's human nature, isn't it, to forget the things that we should remember And to remember the things that we should often forget in our lives. It's human nature to forget the things we should remember. If you're like me, we can do that sometimes. So let's turn to Luke 22 and remember the Lord Jesus. So let's look at this Passover meal. Let's look at Jesus and his relationship with his disciples. Let's listen to the words of Christ. Let's see his heart. Let's see how he spends these last few hours together in this poignant, moving meeting with his disciples. So I have four points to make this morning. The first is this, remember Jesus' desire for fellowship with you. Remember the desire of Jesus to have fellowship with you. Christian this morning, believer this morning, his desire for fellowship with you. So how does the scene open here? Well, it opens with Jesus reclining at the table with these men that he's been with For three years, these men who meant so much to him, these men that he loved, these men that he cared for, these men that he'd called from being fishermen, from being a tax collector, from being the teacher of Israel. Christ with his disciples in the upper room. And here he is with them, verse 14, When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles all around him. There they were, difference in size, difference in stature. They looked different, different shapes and sizes and backgrounds, economic backgrounds. But they were all there with him, those 12. He wanted to be with them. And he says, verse 15, with fervent desire. The word fervent there is from the Latin word, as I understand it, it means boiling heart desire. I desire to be, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
there's deep emotion here. There is desire here, isn't there? Jesus Christ is not. He's, his heart is, is, is overflowing with love for his disciples. He's burning. He's boiling over with fervent desire. I wanted to do, spend this time with you, to sit around him, as it were, to remember this Passover time with you. As it were, we can just record, remember, get that image in your head of Christ and his disciples around him, his heart. I wanted to eat this Passover with you. This is a deep moment. This is a significant moment. Because the shadow of the cross is over this meeting, this, this time around the Passover. He loves his disciples so much and in a matter of hours he would offer his body on the cross for them he wants just this time with them he loved them with inexpressible words this was the final meal as he looks into the faces of the disciples that he loves do they really understand what is happening do they really understand what is going to, what he will have to go through in the next few hours and what they will go through, the trauma and the ordeal, the pain? I wanted to spend this time with you. I wanted to sit with you. It's emotional, it's moving. It reminds us of John 13, verse 1, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Remember, Jesus' desire for fellowship with you. Jesus loves to meet and fellowship with his disciples then, and he does today with you and me. Not bodily in presence, but by his spirit. And he comes in the worship of God, where two or three gathered in my name, there I will be. That's a promise from God. So he comes to his people. In the public worship, by the Spirit, he desires to be with his people. If you're a follower of Christ, if you trusted in him, if he is your saviour, he loves you so much, he wants to have fellowship and to sit with you, as it were. You belong to him. You are one of his. He's going to die for you, not long after this time. Of course, the place of fellowship is the Lord's table. We'll think about that in an application as we just walk through the message this morning. But what is the, where is the place that he can meet with as well? As we've said, it's in public worship. Let me just remind you of another text from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him. And he with me, spiritually speaking. He's physically taking the Passover with his disciples here, but spiritually with every believer. He's to come and to dine with us. He meets us in the word of God as it's preached. He meets us in the word of God as we read it at home. By the Spirit as he opens our eyes, as he draws near. As he fills us with joy. As we come in prayer to him, he meets us. We open the door to him. 
when we open the means of grace to him. It's relational. When we come to trust in him, we come before him into his presence. When we reflect on his teaching, when we talk about him together, we open the door to Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' desire to be with you. Sinner that you are. As it were crooked that we are. Yeah? He wants to cleanse us and renew us and to know us. He's gracious. We can't fathom how much he loves his disciples. How much he loves you and me as a believer this morning. You can't grasp the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of it. Only with reflect on it more. He says, I wanted with fear and desire to be with you. I love you, my disciples. If you're a believer this morning, he sings over you. You are the apple of his eye. You are the joy set before him. He doesn't call you a servant. He calls you a friend. Remember Jesus' fellowship with you firstly. Secondly, remember Jesus looks forward to fellowship with you in the future. He said to them with fervent desire, desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, he says. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes he knows he's going to suffer he knows he's going through pain he knows the shadow of the cross is before him he knows there will be nails he knows he will take the sins of his disciple the sins of his people through all time upon himself he knows he's going to die for their sins he knows this is the last time when they'll sit round in fellowship together but he looks forward he looks to the future Because he knows there is a fulfillment coming. He knows there is a time when he will be again with his disciples. Because of his death, he could take them with him. Into glory. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There is a new heavens. There is a new earth. There is a marriage supper of the Lamb. There is fellowship to come between Christ and his people in the glory. In a new heavens and new earth without sin, without trial, without pain, without suffering. That he experienced for us and that we experienced too. But he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And he's gone before us. Remember Jesus looks forward to future fellowship. In the fulfilment of his promises. For us there may be suffering now. There may be difficulty now. There are trials now. There is pain now. As there was for Jesus Christ and his work for us. But one day it will be gone. He promises it will end. He promises you will be relieved. He promises a joy that is far greater than you've ever experienced. That marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Every one of God's people will be there. Remember, Jesus looks forward to fellowship with you. Thirdly, remember Jesus' sacrifice for you. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. This is one of the central 
things we come on to. Verse 19, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. There was the Passover. There was the type, as it were. We read in Hebrews 8 of the, the lamb, the, shy, the, 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 the shadows and the types. The old covenant, the forward signpost and pointing to the Messiah that would come. And then the new covenant. Bible is an amazing book. It's an amazing book. And it's after the Passover, after the lamb had been slain and cooked and they'd partaken of it together, when supper was ended, that he took up the bread, that he took up the cup. So it tells us in, in, in Corinthians and in Matthew and Mark as well, the, the, the fulfillment of the Passover lamb is Christ's. There's a movement from the old to the new there in the upper room in the eyes of his apostles. Salvation history is being worked through and taught in these symbols. Old and new. Jesus gives thanks. And says, take, eat, divide this among yourselves so I will not drink of the fruit of the vine he gives thanks he takes this bread this unleavened bread that was part of the ceremony of the Passover and he breaks it and he gives it and he says this is my body this is my body which was given for you do this in remembrance of me remember Jesus sacrifice for us and he's connecting the Passover and himself together here as the fulfilment. Now, some Christians, Christians have divided, haven't they, in the past about the meaning of these words, this is my body. But if we take it, if we just read it as it is, Jesus is there in his physical body and he's giving bread and saying, this is my body. So what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Well, he's, he's saying, as it were, this, this points to my body, doesn't it? Jesus spoke in symbolic language. He said earlier in, in John 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. He didn't literally mean that. He says, I'm the cornerstone. He says, I'm the door. He says, I'm the good shepherd. These are symbols. These are pictures. And here he's saying, this is the bread. This is my body. But his body was there. It wasn't his body. It was bread, wasn't it? But it was a picture of his body being broken for them. He wasn't meaning them to understand that the bread changed its essence or property. It didn't, there was no transubstantiation, as the Roman Catholic Church says. It didn't change into the, the literal body or blood of Christ. Because the literal body and blood of Christ was there in front of them. It was symbolism. But he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's broken for you. In verse 20, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the, 
sacrifice of Jesus for you. What does the word covenant mean? Well, those of us at the wedding yesterday saw a covenant being made between a man and a woman, a marriage covenant. What's involved in the marriage covenant? Promises, obligations, commitment. And that was between two equal parties. A lot of the covenants in the Bible, they're not between equal parties, they're between God and his people. Between the sovereign Lord who graciously enters into a covenant. When God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, as David Sherd was telling us, what did Abraham contribute to that covenant? Nothing. Apart from faith, which was God-given anyway. God called him, he said, I'm making a covenant with you. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, it was a gracious covenant. God had worked with them in them. When God put David on the throne, God put David on the throne and made a covenant with him. He gave him promises and he gave him a way to walk in, a way of obedience. Whenever you throw a rock at scripture, as it were, you're going to hit a covenant somewhere. Austin told us about Adam and Christ last week. There's a covenant of works in Adam. Yeah. In Christ, it's the covenant of grace. Yeah, so wherever you are, everyone is in covenant with God. In the covenant of works in Adam or the covenant of grace in Christ, the new covenant in Christ. Everyone. The covenant of works we can't keep, and that's why we end up in hell if we don't believe in Christ and receive the blessings of his covenant. Jesus says, this is the blood Covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And the new covenant is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament covenants that portrayed, that projected, that prophesied, that predicted the coming of Christ. The shadow is now the substance. The picture is the reality. The blood of the animals replaced by the blood of Christ. The precious blood and life. Of the God-man Christ Jesus. The old covenant was broken by the Israelites. He found fault with them. The new covenant is an unbreakable covenant. In the blood of Jesus. When he saves us from sin. He saves us eternally. It's one man. One sacrifice forever. That is Christ Jesus. Around the world and around the country today, people are gathered around Cenotas remembering the men and women who died in conflicts, their bravery, their courage. It's good to remember that, isn't it? And when Henry Stanley and I visited the Imperial War Museum in London, we went to the top floor as part of the visit. And on the top floor, as you go in there, there's all these drawers, as it were, and, and in them there's a, there's a medal for bravery and there's a picture or there's words explaining why the medal was given. So many of them are given for self-sacrifice and protecting people and holding out against the enemy of courage and bravery. And these are virtues, aren't they? But our eyes go beyond all those things to the greatest sacrifice. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us. There isn't anything greater. Nothing else comes near, no matter how great human sacrifice for us because he bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross on the cross the saviour died 
Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. All of God's anger, all of God's wrath that we deserve because of our sin was laid on him and he bore it and he, he drank that cup of suffering for our sins and satisfied it and washed it all away. Hebrews 9.22 says, apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins. There always had to be atonement through blood, right from the animals, right through scripture to this height of sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And his blood was poured out for many. My blood which is shed for you. Remember then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. So let's finally apply some of these things to our lives. Let's remember this. Remembering Jesus will change your life. Remembering Jesus will change your life. Is this to believe us? Remembering Jesus will change your life. Remember Jesus by taking communion. That's the immediate application, isn't it? You come before him. We come before him as a church. We remember. We centre our thoughts on him. We, we, we come in remembrance of the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. We have the symbols of the bread and the wine, and we come and praise and thank him. We come confessing our sins to him that we've not walked in the ways that we should do. But we remember his pain. We remember his propitiation. For us, it's wrath-removing sacrifice. And we keep the feast. We remember the cross. It's a gift from Christ to his church to keep our thoughts of him at the centre, the gospel at the centre. Remember Jesus by taking communion together as a church. It reminds us how appreciative we should be, how grateful we should be to him for what he's done for us. We fellowship together. Let me ask you, do you come to communion? If you can make it. Do you come? Do you remember him? Do you fellowship with him? The first point, he wants to fellowship with his disciples. He wants you to trust him, to confess your sin to him, to draw near to him in the communion, to feed on him by faith, to look to him, to renew your heart before him. As we do as a church in communion, it's a high thing for us. Remember Jesus by taking Communion. Secondly, remember Jesus died for you personally. Died for you personally. The yous in this passage here, they are plural yous, aren't they? In English, we don't have the the and the you anymore in spoken language. The authorised has it, and sometimes it's helpful to see is it a the or a you? Is it a singular or is it plural? You can look at commentaries as well uh, to do that. But here, these are all yous, aren't they? There is a, a sense in which Christ died for the church corporately. As David read, we had read yesterday at the marriage service, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That church word there, that doesn't just mean the first century church, it means a church of all generations. But Christ died for. It's in the plural, he shed his blood for his people. And yet the Galatians 2.20, what's interesting is the Apostle Paul takes that personally. Galatians 2.20 says, he loved me and he gave himself for me. He personalised the death of Christ for himself. He took it to his heart. He believed it, that it, it was for me. Individually, his heart was for me. 
Jesus looked around at that last supper. He looked at Peter's face and John's face and Thomas and the others. And he saw their faces. He was dying for them individually. Not Judas. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he died for his people. He loved them. And if you're a believer this morning, you trust in Christ. He knows your face. He knows your life. He knows the background. He has called you to faith to follow him. He knows everything about you. He knows your inward uh, trials and difficulties. He knows your sins. Yeah, he knows your inward, your outward sins. He knows the trauma that you may have had in your life. He knows all these things about you. And he loves you. And he died personally for your sins. The sins that you've committed this week. My sins that I've committed this week. Because sadly, we do. It's a personal thing. He paid for them. It's a, a, a personal transaction. That's why the hymn writer says in our last time, when Satan tempts me to despair, oh, word I look at him who made an end of all my sin. The gospel's got to be personal. Death of Christ was for you personally. As a believer, we don't like to think of that. We think it's presumptuous in some way. Apostle Paul, it wasn't. He said he loved me. He gave himself for me. You can go to the National Arboretum. It's not far from here. Memorials are personal, aren't they? They contain the names. I don't know if you've been to the National Memorial. There's this huge wall with all the names. There's, there's um, how many are there? 16,000 names on this memorial wall of those who've died in conflict since the Second World War, killed on duty in the theatre of war, or targeted by terrorists. Their names are written there on that wall. But you know, God the Father gave to the Son a people. In John 17, 2, it says, You have given me power over all flesh, that I shall give eternal life to as many as you have given me. There's a bunch of names. And it's so many that we can't count them. An innumerable number that Christ came to die for. But they're not in a wall somewhere in stone. They're in his heart. They're on his hands. He loves you. He came to die for you. He did it for you. When you come to communion, as it were, remember, he did this for you. He did it for all the church. But it personalise it to yourself. And when you're burdened with your personal sins and your conscience tells you your sin, remember Jesus sacrificed for you that those sins that you've committed, He knows about them, and He's died for them. Remember, Jesus died for you personally. Those names. They're written in indelible grace. You can't erase them. They are, they're, they're there. They can't be removed. Our names are written in the palms of his hands. Remember Jesus when you meet up with believers outside of the church. I'm going to apply this a bit more broadly now as my concluding applications. Remember Jesus when you meet up with believers outside the church. Remember Jesus. Our deepest bond is Christ, isn't it? He's the reason why we're all here this morning. When you meet up with Christians, he is what you centrally have in common in your life. That he has died for you. He has called you to faith. He is at the centre of your life and his gospel. 
He is the reason for being. How we should remember Jesus in our conversation. Yes, we can talk about work, we can talk about family, we can talk about lots of other things, what's going on in the nation. But we should remember Jesus in our conversations together as well, shouldn't we? More and more, that's what unites us, our common faith in Christ. Maybe a prayer, remembering the Lord Jesus. Remember Jesus in your family, in your marriage, Christ the head of the church. Husband to lead, the wife to submit, but a team working together with different roles. Remember Jesus in your family when you and I, as a pair, when we mess up in our parenting, which we can do, maybe too often, and we've got sin on our conscience. Was it where we've been too harsh verbally? And we feel wrong and our hearts are wrong. Or we've been too soft and let things get out of control. Remember, Jesus is the perfect example. Remember, his blood cleanses from all sin. Remember, he can make it clean. Remember, he can make it right. Remember, he can change. Remember, he can sanctify us. Remember, Jesus, in your family. Remember to forgive. You said to your kids, will you forgive me? When you've sinned against them. When was the last time you said that? Or to your spouse. Please forgive me. Remember Jesus and your marriage and the gospel. His blood that was shed for you brings peace. Confess it to, confess it to Christ. Confess your sin to each other as well. Remember Jesus in your family. Well, as we close, let me just throw a few more out this just a stimulus, really. Remember Jesus in the workplace. Don't forget him in the workplace. When you go to work tomorrow, in the office, or you go to work with the kids at home, yeah, or you go to work, whatever you're doing, remember Jesus there. Don't leave him at home, as it were. The talk starts to go in the wrong direction. Remember Jesus. Turn aside from it. Remember him. Remember Jesus in your devotional life remember the gospel remember the cross and your personal prayers your prayers for the church remember jesus in your leisure time i've got a free evening tonight what am i going to do how will i spend it remember jesus what would he want me to do will i do things that i'm going to need cleansing for that he's died for Remember Jesus in your leisure time. Remember Jesus when the trials come, when the future looks bleak, when it's difficult. Remember his desire for fellowship with you. Remember the future that he has for you because he's died for you. He will take you to that future. He will come again and receive you to himself. The place of many mansions that he has for you. Well, we could go on. Let me just speak to Anyone this morning who's never remembered Jesus, never remembered Jesus, never trusted in Christ, why don't you remember Jesus? Is it indifference? Is it indifference? Lee this morning talked about the death of the, death of the Queen. How long did she reign for, Stanley? 70 years. I had to look that up as well, Lee, to be honest. But 70 years, that's right. It doesn't, but doesn't it bother you? So on the, the day of the funeral of the Queen, I had to drop some people off at the bus station and I was going through Allenton and Spider Island and I dropped them off and I wanted to get back for the beginning. 
But as I came back, there were traffic jams. Allenton was just rammed with people and cars. And I just thought, don't they know? What? Just such indifference to the death of the monarch. Not interested. People going in heron foods, going all over the place. Is that you this morning when you think about the death of Christ? Just indifferent, not interested. You need the death of Christ. You need Jesus more than you could ever imagine. More than you ever think. You need the blood that can cleanse you from all sin. You need his work on the cross for you personally. He says, come, put your trust in me, believe in me. He died that we might be forgiven. Is it indifference or is it other things? Well, I said we'd mention Judas. What happens here, verse 21? But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. He's so near, Judas, wasn't he? He heard it all. He saw it all. He'd seen the three years. He'd seen lives change. He'd seen the dead raised. He'd seen the healed sick. The, the sick have been healed. He'd seen it all. He was at the table. He heard the last words, as it were, together in that fellowship with Christ. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me at the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them who it was who would do such a thing. Judas turned away. Why? He turned away from money. He turned away because something else was in his heart that was not Jesus. Something else had gripped him. Satan had entered into the heart of Judas. But there was also sin within the heart of Judas. And here, the tragedy... The tragedy of Judas's life. So near, but so far. And I wonder this morning about you. You come to church every week. You hear the preaching of the gospel. You might hear it at home. Maybe if you're a young person, hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Or you come on a Sunday, but you've never put your trust in him. You've never believed in him because something else has gripped and captivated your heart that is not Jesus Christ. Well, he calls you to repent of your sin. He calls you to turn away from that. He calls you to turn from the path that Judas went down on and to turn to him and to believe in him and to be saved by him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Remembering is not enough. I need to be believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. That you might have peace and joy. That you might trust in him. That you may know Christ coming to you in the word. That you may have this future inheritance. This marriage supper of the Lamb to look forward to. <coughs> Will we forget the things... We should remember and remember the things that we should forget. May God help us to remember his desire for fellowship with you. May God help us to remember that Jesus looks forward to the fellowship with us in the future. Remember Jesus' sacrifice for you. And remembering Jesus will change you by the Spirit as we come to him in faith. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless us and help us. We pray that you would help us to center our hearts and lives on the Lord Jesus Christ, whose life was given for us, whose life paid the debt that we had accumulated all our lives. We pray for any who've never trusted in the Lord Jesus themselves, that they would believe and they would come to him, that they would throw themselves before him in repentance, that they would lay hold on him by faith, that they would receive all the blessings that his death has purchased for us. Oh, Father in heaven, be with us then we pray. Write your word in our hearts, for we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.